0: Has anybody ever been in an earthquake here? I have. Not very many. Um, I'm from California, so I have experienced an earthquake because I think to live in California, you kind of have to, maybe. Um, (laughs) But the earthquake that I experienced was in like 1993, I think. And it was in October, I remember, because it was around my birthday and the balloons were still attached to the chandelier in our dining room. And I'm sitting at the dining room table doing my homework and all of a sudden the balloons start moving. It was so weird. And the chandelier starts moving. But I was like 200 miles away from the epicenter and so it just felt like a tremor more than an actual like massive building falling kind of thing. But it was still unsettling. I mean books fell and balloons moved in front of my face and we were all kind of like waiting for more. And it strikes, it, it strikes me as I think back about how unpredictable and uncontrollable natural disaster kind of things are that we don't know how long they're going to last and we don't know um, what's going to happen from them. I mean, on the news seeing the buildings in Chile collapsed over, pancaked together, but then right next to that another apartment building totally fine. How does that happen? Or if anybody's ever seen a a, um, hillside that's been on fire, sometimes there'll be like one house that didn't burn. How does that work? Totally unpredictable. To illustrate, there were tsunami warnings yesterday. Um, they, they They were given in like 20 countries. And they were expecting 600 mile per hour, eight foot waves to hit anywhere from Hawaii to Japan and it didn't really happen. It's only a fraction of what they expected. So this morning, I'm listening to this news guy on, online, and he said, experts are trying to figure out why it didn't happen. <laughs> right, thank God it didn't. Well, the reality is, is that there's only so much prediction and control that we can have over these things, right? Unless, of course, you are God. And then you can stop storms and move mountains, in fact, create all things. In this passage, Jesus shows himself to be God because he's in control of even the wind and the waves. So if you have your Bible, we're going to kind of walk through the passage a little bit. Um, And you want to follow along. There's also Bibles in the back at the Scoop. Feel free to get up and get one. We move a lot here at Scum, so it won't bother me if you get up, you know, and get a Bible. Um, So Mark, 35 to 41. You can kind of follow along if you want, Um, but you don't have to, because it's up there too. So that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, or Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. And they took him along, just as he was in the boat, And there were other boats with them, so they weren't alone. And a furious squall came up, and waves broke over the boat and nearly swamped the boat. Okay, so I read this, and I'm wondering, what is a furious squall? Is this like the sound of a loud kid screaming? Or some kind of strange, angry, purple and green bird? Like, what is a furious squall? So I looked it up and it's actually a really big storm that comes in really fast and it's really intense. It's like a wall of water that just hits. So then I was like, well, why does this happen? And I looked at the geography, because I'm kind of a nerd. And I want to tell you about the geography of the place because it's actually really cool. So there's like a 9,200 foot mountain called Mount Huron I always want to say Herman and I know that's wrong. So Mount Huron is 9,200 feet above sea level and 30 miles away is the Sea of Galilee and it is 700 feet below sea level. So in 30 miles you have a 10,000 foot elevation difference. So the interchange between the cold air in the mountain and the really warm air of the sea kind of collide and create the ability for this massive storm to be able to happen, like, really fast. It even happens today. There are signs I've heard, I haven't seen, heard posted on the beaches of the Sea of Galilee so that if you park your car there, you know that your car could get swamped, even though it looks safe right now. Galilean fishermen today speak Arabic, and they call it a sharkia, because it reminds them of a shark, I guess, I don't know. But sharks are scary, so I assume the storm is scary. (laughs) So needless to say, we can now kind of at least get a little bit of a picture of what the area looks like, and that the disciples in the boat were pretty freaked out. But Jesus is sleeping. So I'm wondering, how is Jesus sleeping when there's like seven foot waves crashing into the boat? So maybe he had a lot of wine? Um, I don't know maybe he took a sleeping pill I don't think they had sleeping pills but you know like how how did he sleep I was actually talking with a friend about this uh, my dear friend Anna I don't think she's here but um, we were talking about this like seriously why could he sleep this is kind of weird and the disciples are totally freaked out and it's not like this boat is really big and she looked at me and she said Well, he was God. He wasn't afraid. Like, what keeps me awake at night is my anxiety and my worry and my fear. Well, Jesus didn't have any of that because he trusted. He knew. He knew what was happening. And the disciples don't really interpret it this way. They're kind of pissed off, I think. Because their answer is, don't you care that we might drown? Don't you care that we might die? Their question expects the answer yes, you do care that we are perishing, don't you? But really suggests that they're kind of peeved and pissed off. Like, I mean, if your life was in danger and your friend was taking a nap, I think you might be upset. They are so desperate, and they know they can't save themselves. And so they turn to the one, their teacher, that they think maybe he has a clue where the life vests are. Maybe he has a clue what to do. I think it's because they were aware of their own need in their moment of desperation that they were able to come to Jesus and say, Hey, wake up. We need you. I'm wondering how many of you... Like me, go to Jesus in your hour of desperation and ask him to meet you there. Because waking Jesus up in the boat isn't really all that different than when we sit and pray and cry out to Jesus when we don't know where our next paycheck's going to come from, where we're going to live. Maybe we don't have the friends that we need or the family that we need when we feel anxious when we wanna do something we know we shouldn't do. But let me say that those who are not open to Jesus when they're desperate doesn't mean they don't need Jesus. It just means they don't expect from Jesus what he has to offer them. They still need him just as much. So what does Jesus do? when they go and wake him up. He doesn't roll over, groan, and say, go away. He actually responds. He gets up and he says, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. So... I could go into a lot of Greek here, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to tell you the gist. The gist of this kind of quiet, be still in Greek is shut up. Be still and stay still. Stop freaking my friends out. Because what's interesting is the language for the words there, he used when he exercised demons in the passage before. It's like personification of inanimate objects. Like saying wind waves you will obey me, you can understand me. Shut up, be still, stop freaking my friends out. You're messing with their faith. Stop it. And they do So when he's done with the wind and the waves, okay, that's done. He turns back to his disciples and he says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you still not trust me? Because see, the disciples to this point have seen Jesus heal people. They've heard him say who he is. They're still calling him teacher, not Lord. So it's like they haven't put two and two together yet even though Jesus is right there in the boat with them. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So, okay, they get that, that this is kind of weird that the wind and the waves just obeyed him. So who is this? Um, one last Greek thing for you people who enjoy that. The word terrified right there is actually, like, duplicated in the text. It says they were terrified, terrified. Meaning, like, emphatically, they were more scared of Jesus' ability to stop the wind and the waves than the wind and the waves themselves. I kind of wonder if this, for the disciples, is like, um, you know when, when you walk out of a really dark room into the light or, like, out of a club and it's been really dark and... You walk outside and the sun's shining and you get all like squinty because your, um, your eyes haven't adjusted yet. Because it's so bright you can't see. I kind of wonder if it was like that for the disciples that God was actually in the boat with them. And, it, he was, and And it was like that with the sun. You know, like squinty, watery eyes, can't see what's in front of you. So Jesus in the boat, they couldn't really tell who he was. i felt this way before, not really knowing that Jesus was in the boat with me, not listening to him, not trusting that his way was the best way for me. I'm really hoping I'm not the only one in the room, but I'm going to share my story with you and trust that you understand what I'm talking about. So my first semester in college, I'd been a Christian for about five years, but I grew up in the church. But I kind of did it backwards, too. I got baptized when I was 12 and then accepted Jesus when I was 13. Like, did the walk, you know? I feel like it still counts. (laughs) Um, It was my first time away from home. I was at college. And I thought, great. Mom and Dad's rules don't apply anymore. And no one's going to tell me what to do. I have no rules. So the first thing I did was what... You know, any good girl who wants to break all the rules goes out and gets a really bad boyfriend. I could tell you lots of stories and everything, but the kicker was is that I wouldn't give him what he wanted. Now you all know what I'm talking about. So five days later, I walked into his dorm room, and I walked in on him with another girl. I will probably never forget what that looked like. Um, That was our breakup conversation, and we never talked again. (laughs) Then I decided I didn't need to go to class or do homework to get a good grade in college. So I ended up with a 1.9 GPA my first semester in college. (laughs) Academic probation. It means I could get kicked out if I didn't pull it together. In addition... I surrounded myself with shady parties, shady people, and had really crazy experiences in San Francisco because I went to college just north of San Francisco. I still love that city, but I wouldn't go to the same places I did then. So none of these things were really great for me. I knew it, but I didn't care, and I was having a really good time, kind of. I decided in January, after my heart had been crushed, and that I was close to getting kicked out, and realizing that I didn't have really good friends, because they didn't really care about me, that I had made some bad decisions. And that was when I went back to Jesus and said, "Okay, maybe I will listen to you now. I feel like that was kind of when I went and woke Jesus up in my boat and said, I'm drowning here. Mm -hmm. These were kind of my seven-foot waves. They might be two feet waves for somebody else, but they were seven feet waves for me. They were enough to wake me up. You know, when I first read this story, I thought, Jesus is sleeping. He's God. He has to know what's happening. How is he not the jerk here, like sleeping while people are struggling with a storm? What would have happened if the disciples hadn't woken Jesus up? I mean, I think the disciples actually kind of thought he was a jerk. They, they're really frustrated. Don't you care that we're dying here? That's not exactly a nice way of waking someone up and saying, um, excuse me, there's kind of an emergency here. Isn't, the way, isn't that the way that we are with God sometimes? When God isn't working the way that we think he should, we so do this. We have expectations for God to fix our lives, and we figured out what fixing it looks like. So we expect God to work like we think he should to fix a problem. Like, why didn't God stop me from walking in on my first boyfriend? That was so painful. Why didn't God help me do better on my exams so i get better grades? Why didn't he protect me from sketchy things that, I, that happened in San Francisco? What if that isn't the way that God chooses to work? What if there are ways of fixing things that we can't even fathom? So if it's so obvious that we need to trust Jesus, then why don't we do it? words timing and feeling you see I think we get mad at God because he doesn't choose to do it in our timing but that doesn't mean he's not trustworthy and I think we get really upset at God because it doesn't feel good and it doesn't feel like he's doing anything so I don't know why Jesus was asleep when all this was happening, but he did something about it. Our passage doesn't tell us that we're gonna be protected from feeling the effects of the storm, like feeling the effects of my decisions when I was in college. In fact, I think our reading actually, even though Jesus stops the storm, the underlying thing that we're supposed to get out of this is that we have a Savior that doesn't actually pull us out of things, but helps us get through things. He doesn't help us get out of things, but he helps us get through things. Isaiah 43, 1-3 is what came to mind when um, I was preparing this. This is where God is talking to Israel and he says, and he's really talking to us too. Fear not, a little bit down, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Some translations say you will not be consumed The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Doesn't say that He will take us out of the water, that He will take us away from the river and out of the fire. For sure, we will feel soaked. For sure, we will feel the heat. It's not that we will be removed from the effects, but we have a God who will redeem, save, and help us through it. So when we go through storms, like I'm imagining these disciples going through the storm, they were saved. But they got wet and wind whipped. I'm sure they had really messy hair, like they had long hair and long beards probably. So I'm imagining like this connection thing, you know, with all the water and wind. (laughs) They had leather shoes, so it was probably pretty smelly after getting soaked. Have you guys ever gotten really, really wet in jeans? It's just kind of awful. We're a bit of a mess when we come through a storm, whether it's physically or emotionally. Sometimes we need a towel and a friend to help us pry those jeans off to get some dry clothes and clean socks and maybe some hot chocolate. So in our brokenness, we want him to stop it all and fix it now. We question whether God cares when it doesn't happen our way. I won't fib to you, I don't know why God does it this way. I don't get it. I have asked this week many times, is God enough? Because that's ultimately the question of this passage, right? Is God enough? I think He is. My friend Sarah. I work for her twelve hours a week. She has MS, and she's had it since 1986. She's in her 50s. And um, MS is a neurological disease that affects your body um, in a lot of different ways. It affects people differently, but. For her she's had seizures and um, is kind of in chronic pain um, she can 't really feel her left foot and it and it kind of drags when she walks so walking on carpet is really hard for her because her foot catches on it so um, she 's asked me to kind of come alongside her and companion her and i 've had the privilege of doing this for about three months and i I actually really love it. I go to Starbucks with her. I go to the grocery store. We went to Target the other day. Um, We do things that she wouldn't be able to do otherwise because she's pretty much wheelchair bound when she goes out. Like, it's just not safe for her to walk. And, um, yeah, it's just really been incredible to be with her. And she, (laughs) I I asked her, I said, can I talk about you? And she said, yes. And this is what I want you to tell them. She said, well, actually she texted it to me. I'll just read it to you from here because this is better. God did not strike me with MS but used what the evil one meant for evil and used it for good. Praise God. She has experienced like love and compassion and grace in a way that Many of us will never even understand. Um, you know, I told you about the carpet thing, how her foot drags. She had about 20 people get together without her knowing and orchestrate. She had to pay for this, but she had the money. <laughs> orchestrate um, all of her carpet being ripped up and wood floor being put down, all of her walls being painted, and a new bed that she could actually get into by herself. I got to be with her when all this was happening, and oh, the other thing, they paid for a hotel for her so she didn't have to be there during it. She just said she never would have known how much people loved her and would be willing to do that for her if she hadn't had MS, and she was actually grateful for it. Isn't that weird? but so wonderful. I think she could see this because Jesus is kind of in the boat with her. So is Jesus in the boat with you? Are you willing to tell Jesus what you need? Are you willing to ask him to be enough for you? Like the disciples, are you willing to say, we're dying over here? No matter what is timing, no matter what you are feeling, Jesus' answer will always be yes. So if you think about this world as a boat, um, it's kind of going down. But the reality is is that it doesn't matter because Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So it doesn't, here's the deal. Forgive me because I'm gonna say this kind of choppy, but it's because it's hard for me. (laughs) Um, So it doesn't really matter if we drowned. It doesn't really matter if we go down, if we have Jesus in the boat with us, because this isn't all there is. Jesus has overcome not only wind and rain, but death. The power of evil, the ultimate power of evil is death. And that he has also overcome and said, stop it, be still, you're freaking out my friends. So he died and three days later came back and wiped out the power that death can have so we don't have to be afraid anymore. That's why Jesus is enough. So whether we sink, whether we drown, whether we make crappy decisions, whether we're in an earthquake in Chile, whether we have MS like Sarah, I have cried so many times this week and I was like, I'm not going to cry in my sermon because every time this week when I've been in this, like in this, I've realized it doesn't matter. Like, it just doesn't. Jesus says, to all these things, I am enough. So take heart. For in this world you will have trouble. But I have overcome the world. And may you have the courage to ask Jesus into the boat with you. Amen. Um, We're going to have prayer in that room if you would like to pray with somebody to ask Jesus into the boat with you and we're going to sing and give thanks to God for being enough.